listen closely. This is a topic that applies to all the women listeners for both themselves and their patients. It applies also to the male listeners for their patients, the women in their life, and the women they are in in their life. Welcome to Therapists in Motion podcast, brought to you by Spooner Physical Therapy. Hello, and welcome back to Therapists in Motion podcast. This is Sarah Gaiano, and I will be hosting you guys today. And I am the Women's Health Coordinator for Spooner Physical Therapy, and I am happy to welcome. I have a couple guests with me today. And we are going to be talking a little bit about women's sexual wellness and how that can apply to physical therapy. But first, let's talk to our guests, get a little introduction. I have fellow Spooner therapist, Nicole Ron. She's at our Biltmore Clinic, recently achieved her WCS. So we're very excited for her. So hello, Nicole. Hello. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you for joining us and welcome. And then our extra special guest is Dr. Sharon Thompson, OBGYN. She has a private practice here in Phoenix, Central Phoenix OBGYN. She she has a ma- master's in public health. She had her medical training at Mount Sinai School of Medicine in New York City and completed her postgraduate training in OBGYN at the Harvard Affiliate Brigham and Women's and Mass General Hospital. Did I miss anything, Dr. Thompson? Uh, Let's see. That was a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for having me. Um, I also um, am a consultant on the Good Morning Arizona show on Channel 3, and I do that every other Monday where we cover topics like this and other health topics that people might be interested in. For our Phoenix listeners, what time is that on? It is, I am on every other Monday, although it's summer, so I'll be off a little bit this summer, but typically my segment runs around 8.15 in the morning. So if you're getting ready for work, getting your kids ready for school, you can have it playing in the background. Awesome. We'll definitely have to tune into that. So let's get to the good stuff. So we want to talk about sexual wellness with women and why that's important, why we all as medical pr- practitioners should definitely be talking about this with our patients. This is a super important topic, particularly for physical therapists who who treat ADLs. We're, we're trying to help patients get back to function, and sex is a huge part of human function. This is something that physical therapists often don't ask about, and I think medical practitioners in general fail to ask their patients about. Yeah, I have to say as an OBGYN, I'm so happy we're covering this topic because um, it's often left out. Patients are often shy asking about it or bringing it up. People can often feel like they're a personal failure if they're having trouble with sex. And this goes for both men and women. Um, and so if providers don't ask about it, it can go untreated. And it's something, you know, a lot of the issues that, that affect people in this area are things that we can treat. But folks will be at home suffering because no one's bringing it up. So it's so important that we bring it up. And I'm so happy we're having this conversation here today. Do you, when you have a patient, do you just like flat out ask them like, hey, are you having any problems with sex? Or do you wait till kind of build some rapport with them? Like what is kind of your strategy to like be the most 
That's effective. a great question because people often don't know when to sort of slip it in there to use a horrible pun. <laughs> um, I think there are two times where um, sex will come up. One is at routine annual visits. So as part of the visit, we're sort of, we've gone over your history. We're going through the exam and I just throw a couple of questions out. Any trouble with sex, any pain, any problems with vaginal dryness? I see only women, guys. And so I will slip those questions in just casually as part of naturally what we're doing so that it doesn't feel uncomfortable. Um, and then also if someone comes in for a particular complaint. So if someone comes in complaining of pelvic pain or there are lots of uh, postpartum moms. So those are times where I will bring it up again and say, hey, any problems with sex, any problems with pain, with intercourse, or things like that. And I'll ask a couple more questions. So those are two times where you can sort of bring it up problem-focused. And then at your annual visit, just throw it out there. No, I think that's a good idea. It just added into your subjective questioning. And if you just address it straight al- straight along with your other questions, I think it, it comes a little more natural. Absolutely. And I think that if we as providers feel like it's, you know, sex in the culture is something that's private, right? So even providers can feel shy about intruding, and I'm making air quotes here, into someone's private life, but that's our job. So even physical therapists, if you're seeing someone who's complaining of hip pain or low back pain, it's a relevant question to say, are you having any issues with sex? Because it sort of can be related and you'll be surprised how many times people will let you know once you ask, once you open the door. That's perfect. Thank you so much for bringing that up. I think that type of confidence in asking patients about this dysfunction and about this area that can be somewhat uncomfortable to discuss can open up doors for us as practitioners to really understand what our patients are going through and and really what's happening in their day-to-day life. I, I have heard from some orthopedic physical therapists that, that they struggle in asking about this, this topic because they don't have the foundation to understand what, what could be dysfunction, what is normal. And and really they don't have the understanding of the anatomy that they Mm -hmm. do in other areas of the body. So if you could just speak to some of the anatomy Mm -hmm. of the pelvic, the pelvic region, particularly, particularly in regards to female sexual anatomy. Sure. There are two things that we don't get nearly enough teaching about. And even in medical school, we don't. One is the anatomy, which we'll cover in a minute. And two is the female sexual response. And I think it's important to have a foundation of some of the components of the female sexual response, because that can give you an idea of where things can break down. Because I, I like to say that women are like Ferraris. They're very complex very finely tuned. And so there are a lot of moving parts. It doesn't mean that it can't be understood, but it's just, you have to have some knowledge, some basic knowledge to help you understand where things are going. So when you think about um, sexual response, and if we look at, you know, what we know about men, and it's not that they're not complex too, but basically their anatomy is uh, very local, right? You have a penis that gets erect and good to go. Whereas women, there's a lot more going on. So women, um, that just for anatomical parts, right? We're dealing with a vagina, a cervix and uterus. Don't forget those internal organs are there. And then all the components of the clitoris. Unfortunately, you can't see me, so I can't show you pictures to show you the 3D anatomy, but 
if you think about those structures and then all the muscles that surround them, right? Which I don't have to tell physical therapists about muscles. You guys know that better than I. And so if you think about all those things, as part of the sexual response, they are all engaged. So um, the vagina will lubricate. It will lengthen, actually. The cervix and uterus will move up and out of the way. So if you get your imagination out going, like your uh, elementary school teacher used to tell you, right? Picture in your mind that picture that you see classically of a uterus and cervix, and it's in a certain position. Well, when women get sexually aroused, it moves up and out of that position so that now you can imagine a penis coming in or whatever she wants to put in her vagina comes in and it goes under that uterus and cervix. If that sexual response hasn't happened, that uterus and cervix doesn't move. Now you can see where problems might come in, right? A woman might have pain with intercourse. So a simple issue, pain with intercourse is totally related to that anatomy. So if some, if a woman isn't achieving arousal and her vagina isn't lengthening and the uterus isn't moving out of the way and the muscles don't have the capacity to expand and lengthen, then she may be experiencing dysfunction and pain with intercourse simply because she's either not achieving arousal successfully or she has dysfunction in her musculoskeletal system that's causing pain with intercourse. Absolutely. And another component of that is, let's say she's having muscle spasm in those muscles of the pelvis. She's tense for whatever reason, or she had a back injury and the nerves now are making those muscles spasm. She's going to have pain with intercourse, right? Because those changes are not going to flow as they should. So you can have both a lack of arousal leading to the changes not happening, or you could have some muscular dysfunction that's leading to those changes not happen. So having an, an idea of that anatomy and that sexual response cycle is really important. Sarah and I were chatting earlier. I didn't know that the uterus lifted during no, intercourse. And so that brings up a whole new spectrum of ways for us to affect pain with intercourse. Something that in the past couple years, I've gotten a little more into visceral mobilization. And so just kind of what your opinion on this might be. So maybe someone who has a more significant history of like abdominal surgeries, Mm -hmm. endometriosis, more of that scar tissue in the abdomen, if you were, or maybe a C-section, if Mm -hmm. you were to see any more of that scar tissue adhesion restriction through the uterus, could that potentially like long-term even limit the ability of the uterus to elevate during arousal? It's all connected. And so sometimes when we do a repeat C-section or a surgery on someone who's had previous surgery, things are really stuck. I mean, it can be like concrete in there. And so you can imagine that's really going to affect the mobility of those structures in the pelvis and can make a real difference. Also, there's so much we don't know about um, muscle function and inflammation. I'm sure in your field, you're talking more and more about inflammation and, and how it affects those pelvic floor um, structures. I know that in OBGYN and urogynecology, Pelvic floor physical therapy is so beneficial. And we don't know the exact mechanism of why it's beneficial, but we know for women who have had surgeries or who have endometriosis, I mean, it works for pelvic pain of all causes. And that's pretty incredible. 
Thank you for that. That <laughs> she's <It's> true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, we we see a, a very positive outcome in most patients that that are referred for pelvic pain, especially pelvic pain during intercourse or dyspareunia. Yeah, I have to tell you, I was saying to a patient just this morning, in my practice, and I can't speak for every OBGYN, but every single patient I've ever sent for pelvic floor physical therapy has gotten better. Every single one of them. I know that's quite a track record. You can't say that for most things. And it's just true. And they're reluctant to go because what we talked about earlier with people are shy and they're like, they're going to do what in my wear. Right. And they're reluctant. But when I finally convince them to go and it typically takes about three visits to convince someone to actually go (laughs) by that third visit, they are smiling again. It's remarkable. That's a that's a perfect lead in, I think, Mm -hmm. to talking about the myths of the female anatomy and female orgasm. The first being pain might hurt or pain should hurt after menopause, after labor and delivery, that this is something that you just have to accept as a woman as you age. I'm making such a face right now because (laughs) I think that's a horrible idea. I mean, so let's, let's put this in perspective, right? We don't have to have sex to live. And if you're not making a baby, sex is for fun. So if it's not fun, why are you involved in it? Right? So this idea that pain, that sex could hurt or should hurt, or a certain amount of pain is natural and normal. Uh, uh, no, if it's painful and we can't fix it, then do something else. (laughs) I mean, I just don't see any reason why anyone would continually repetitively do something that's causing them pain. And a lot of women don't either have that myth as an idea or think that there's no help for them. So I think it's so important that we engage with our patients so they know that there's help for them. The other myth that I've heard you talk about is the G-spot. Oh boy. I would love to open that door. (laughs) I think that's a, a common misconception. It is a very common misconception. So there's no anatomical place that we call the G-spot. And and this is important when it co- goes to the, what we were just talking about in terms of pain. Because people have a conception that there's a G-spot, they're couples, and, and of course we're talking about, you know, cisgendered, heterosexual couples, although couples who are uh, gay may put things in the vagina, right? But people have this idea about penetration of the vagina because they think that there's something in there that they're trying to stimulate. When in fact, the female clitoris is mostly, um, it's on the outside. So again, I wish I had a picture. I wish this were a video. Not really, because then you see my face. <laughs> but um, the clitoris sits above the urethra, so above the hole where urine comes out. And parts of the clitoris sit underneath the labia. Now, this G-spot myth does come from a real anatomy. Uh, because part of the clitoris, the clitoris is actually a very complicated structure. And I recommend that you go online and search clitoral anatomy because then you'll see the pictures. It's very so long. Just definitely. as a side note, it's like 10 <laughs> centimeters long on the side Google of the vagina. It. There's it a is, lot to it. It is not a little dot above your urethra. It, it is, is a large a structure. Dot. There's a lot more to it. And in fact, it's fun fact, the clitoris and the penis arise in an embryo from the exact same structures. So the exact same structures that make a penis make a clitoris. It's just most of the clitoris is is underneath the skin. It doesn't stick out. Um, but part of the clitoral structures surround the urethra. And again, if you can put your little imagination on and imagine the anatomy of the vulva, where the vagina is a long tube that sits underneath 
where the urethra is. So these tubes run in parallel inside the body. And the part of the clitoris surrounds the urethra. And so part of it then would be above the vagina. So if you stimulate the top of a woman's vagina on the inside of her, it will feel good to her because a part of her clitoris sits there. Now, we all have variation in terms of how human bodies work. So there will be a small percentage of women in the world who that kind of stimulation can result in orgasm. It's a small percentage though. 75% of women require direct clitoral stimulation on the outside, that structure that sits above the urethra for orgasm. The vast majority of women cannot orgasm from that stimulation of the clitoris through the vagina. I think this is so important for healthcare, healthcare practitioners to understand because if a woman is searching for this G spot, trying to find arousal and is unsuccessful, exactly. she needs to understand where arousal comes from, where she can find more success in searching orgasm, and understand that she's not dysfunctional because she can't find or hit this G-spot. That's so exactly right. I have patients who come into me feeling like a failure Mm -hmm. because they don't have vaginal orgasms, which is a related myth, right? Most women cannot orgasm just from penetration alone. And the corollary that we were talking about in terms of pain is that if it hurts to have something in your vagina, you don't have to put anything in your vagina unless you're trying to make a baby. And today with modern technology, you don't even need to do it then, <laughs> right? So so that's important to know, though, because like we're talking about, a lot of people have a misconception that you have to have penetration to have pleasurable sex, even when it's causing them pain. So no pain. Sex should not be painful. I think that Pleasurable you, only. I think you make a huge point with that, especially when we have patients coming in saying that the penetrative sex is what's so painful and it's impacting their relationship and you can having that knowledge you can kind of encourage them that they can still have connections with their partner in positive ways that doesn't have to be so painful and i hope i'm not the first one to tell you but there's a lot of sex you can have without putting something in the vagina (laughs) this is true completely (laughs) so i hope y'all out there already know that and if you're (laughs) if you're the shy type of practitioner there's actually a, a wonderful um, instructional program called Sensate Focus that you can follow and instruct patients through that guides you through non-penetrative sex and very safe, very linear models so that there's a safe phase. You don't move to the next phase until you're comfortable with it. And so, yeah, an, an easy educational tool about non-penetrative sex. Definitely. There are tools out there and it's important that we start the conversation so folks can get connected to those tools. So when someone comes to you with pain, painful sex, mm-hmm. I understand and hear and have seen in practice that you refer to pelvic floor physical mm-hmm. therapy. What other, what other causes of painful intercourse do you see medically and, and how are you treating those? Well, definitely there's uh, why is she having pain? So we always try to find the source of pain, which I have to tell you, sometimes we don't find. But like, let's say someone has endometriosis. We'll treat the endometriosis. Or if someone has large fibroids, we might take care of those. And most fibroids will not cause pain, but some do, depending on their location. So depending on what the underlying source is, we will definitely try to treat that. It really is the history that reveals to me um, who needs to go down the pelvic floor physical therapy route and who doesn't. I, it, it, like someone I saw recently, a lot of what she was talking about had to do with 
inflammation and gut issues. And, um, there was, there was so, her picture was so broad that it, it didn't narrow down to one of those causes. And I thought, Hmm, there's probably something going on here, this musculoskeletal. And so I thought she was a good candidate. So really the history guides me and where I send patients. So you mentioning a thorough medical history also kind of brings me back to one of our big company philosophies is treating the whole person. We're very big on focusing mind, body, spirit. And so that kind of makes me think, like, what else do you happen to notice in patients that maybe from outside of the like the physical, mm-hmm. any other factors to take into this? I'm so glad you asked that because that's something that comes up a lot um, in my practice. Uh, I think that if you you don't spend a whole lot of time talking to a woman to learn how much women have on their plates, often they have jobs outside the home. They have, they have primary responsibility for their children. They have um, to maintain all the doctor's appointments for everybody, children themselves, their husband, and then they have their relationship they're managing. And so there's so much on their plate. And oftentimes someone comes in and we start talking. And one of my first prescriptions for many people is to get rid of something. You can't get rid of your kids or your husband, but you can stop doing laundry, right? You can stop going to a grocery store. And I find that I I make a joke all the time that if I came home and my house were clean and my kids were bathed and fed, I'd be horny too. (laughs) (laughs) It would increase your desire. You'd have more fun, right? So I think that sometimes it's it's not a physical issue or in addition to the physical issue, there's sort of an environmental, social, mental health thing going on where you need to de-stress, declutter your mind. And do you mm-hmm. think that that declutter your mind part is more impactful to maybe women instead of men? Is that a difference between the two? I mean, I think you can see it in both for sure, but I just think given the social roles that women have, they just have more roles. No shade to men, but women just have more responsibility. I've seen women in the office and they're taking a text and they're like, oh, my husband, he's at the doctor. He needs to know the medical insurance number. (laughs) A grown man can't take himself to the doctor, but... You laugh because the truth is funny. This is women's lives. So I think that women and women are nurturers by either genetics or training. And so they take it on. They just say, yes, I'm going to take care of my family. But what falls off might be sexual desire. What falls off might be sexual pleasure. What falls off might be the relaxation that helps you not have pain. And so sometimes when those problems crop up, it's important to address Hey, where are you in the packing order of relaxation in your household? Right? Right. Yeah, we definitely can't forget these aspects of all Very of important. This, yep. Sometimes that's the only thing I address in a visit and I assign her, stop doing laundry, come back and let me know how that went. <laughs> yeah. Literally that's that great. happens. <laughs> Honestly, it, this just emphasizes your point that women are model are are Ferraris, right? Very we, complex. There are so mm-hmm. many levels. There's so much upkeep that it takes to have a very healthy sexual relationship, especially as we age and our body changes and our life becomes more stressful and we add kids into the mix. Um, yeah, definitely. And I think one, one other thing that we didn't touch on, but it's so important for um, normal sexual functioning and, and sexual pleasure is privacy. 
So if you're in a household, you have a bunch of small kids, maybe an in-law lives with you. You have to care, give for your, you know, your mom or dad. Where do you find the private space to relax enough to allow that complicated sexual response we were talking about to happen? So that's a big one too, that often gets overlooked. We always forget to ask about it. Who lives in your house? No, that's a really good question and Mm -hmm. a pretty good point. Yeah. It's a big one. I'm so happy that we've had this discussion about the female sexual response. I think it's important that we've, we've not only discussed how to screen patients and, and the importance of screening patients for pain with intercourse, but also given practitioners hopefully a little bit more understanding about the anatomy, the female anatomy associated with sexual response and intercourse. And I, and I hope that we've, we've just myth busted a little bit about the, the misconceptions surrounding female sexual arousal and, and, and expectations for sex as we go through the lifespan. Um, I hope we've also opened people's minds up to think about pain with sex and dysfunctions with sex, not only in the physical realm, but also in the biopsychosocial realm. And I hope we've, we've just brought attention to something that all of our patients and all of our friends and and hopefully everyone in our life does, but no one for some reason wants to talk about or or bring up in a in a medical appointment. And so I, I hope that discussing this here will help practitioners change what they listen to in their patient interviews and in their patient interactions so that hopefully we can discover more about what patients ADLs are, what, what is really going on in their life and, and really what is going on in their vital sign that is sexual function. This is a, a huge component to people's life. And I think it's important as physical therapists and medical practitioners for us to understand how, how is your sex? How, how are you doing in that realm with your partner? Because it's so important as a human, as a woman and, and, and as a patient. Couldn't have said it better myself. So I think it's really important, whether you treat the pelvic floor or you do general orthopedics, hopefully we've given you some strategies to change the way you listen to your patients, the way you look at their medical history, and don't be afraid to ask the deeper question. And even if you don't treat that, that is the opportunity for you to acknowledge that these are important in your patient's life. And maybe you can refer to the right OBGYN. Maybe it's the right pelvic floor therapist that can help address them. You know, it's really our duty to be addressing all the ADLs. And we are movement therapists. And this is this is part of that. So, Dr. Thompson, I would extend a huge thank you to you joining us on our podcast. It's been great. You Thanks for the invitation. Yes. And I, I'm armly like my mind's blown as well. So I got lots to think about. Um, hopefully we could have you back in the future. Uh, thank you, Nikki, for joining me. And thank you all for listening to my first hosted podcast. We have an, also have an excellent audio engineer, Dan Miriavsky. And as always, please, any questions, comments, feedback to therapistsinmotion at spoonerpt.com. <laughs>